Hi, and welcome to the Violin Geek Podcast. I'm Laurel Thompson, and today I'm going to be talking about how you can play for weddings or other events such as gallery openings, corporate events, um, street fairs, parties, you name it. Um, however, we're mostly going to be talking about specifically weddings because that's where a lot of these events are going to be taking place. Either you're going to be playing for the ceremony, the cocktail hour, the reception, or perhaps all three. So anyways, let's get started with how you can prepare for playing for weddings. Just kind of see if you're ready to do this, to step out there. So first of all, you need to have some repertoire. That's very important. You don't really want to get a gig and then start thinking about repertoire after the fact. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, but some of these prospective um, clients might want some sort of MP3 of your music, uh, maybe even to meet you in person. So you want to be prepared. So a good place to start with the wedding repertoire are um, are some volumes that, um, that I like. And um, one is the Lynn Latham guides. Um, she's got all sorts of different books about, uh, mostly about wedding music or um, hymnals or, you know, like the easy Celtic musician or the Christmas carol musician, you know, this sort of thing. So you can find that at www.latham slash music. So I'm going to spell that out. That's L-A-T-H-A-M and then dash music.com, latham-music.com. And um, I like the weddings for two. I'm often playing with a cellist um, for the smaller weddings. But, uh, but in this volume, a lot of the music I think can just be played solo, or um, she also has um, weddings for larger ensembles. And then the other one is the music for two, music for three, or music for four, depending on your ensemble. Um, and that series, the publisher is uh, Last Resort Music. So um, you can just go to lastresortmusic.com and um, all of those books, they've got several volumes for each type of ensemble. And um, and they're good. They've got all the, the standards that you would be be playing for um, for ceremonies and um, and cocktail hours. I think if you're going to play for a reception, you'd have to kind of branch out a little bit and get some pops and stuff like that for sure. But um, but we're going to find you know your pop Pachelbel's Canon trumpet tune, air on a G string by Bach, um, La Réjouissance from the Royal Fireworks by Handel. Um, what else? Ave Maria. Uh, Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring, Ode to Joy, you know, all that kind of stuff that that most people are going to want. Oh, and I'll, <laughs> of course, the Wedding March. Dun, 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 dun. Of course, they're going to want that. So I would start there. I would get some of these books, or maybe even you have some of these. Um, sometimes you can also find them online just to download. Um, virtualsheetmusic.com is a good place to find stuff and just kind of get started. And then I would start practicing. And practice all the tunes and um, a lot of them if you're at an intermediate to advanced level are going to be pretty easy but uh, but you want to be able to do them easily and effortlessly you don't want to have to think about it you want to if you need to write in fingerings you want to have that done well before the event um, you just want to kind of be able to pull them out and play them and uh, you know sometimes brides are late sometimes weddings do not start on time actually I would say at least half the time Weddings start between, you know, 10 and 15 minutes late. Sometimes it's an hour. Um, I did a wedding once that was two hours late. It was 
it was uh, pretty crazy. And um, we just kind of had to keep playing and keeping the guests entertained and uh, don't want to scare anyone away. That's definitely not typical, but you do want to be prepared for the unexpected. So if you have about mm, 20 minutes of prelude music prepared, I would probably stretch that to about 40 minutes. And uh, worst case scenario, you repeat something and uh, hopefully no one notices. So start there with your repertoire. And um, and then I would make sure that you actually are recording yourself, both um, videotaping yourself and audio recording yourself on some of these tunes, just to make sure that you're really playing them as you think you're playing them. You know, sometimes things sound better to us when we're actually in the moment. And then when we listen back later, it's like, oh, wow, actually that was kind of out of tune or my rhythm wasn't that good or whatever. And then um, I do say the videotaping, um, if possible, just because you want to make sure that you have that kind of air of a performer. You know, if you're slouching in your seat when you're playing or, um, you know, just kind of looking like an amateur there and, and not, not really presenting yourself in a professional way, then um, then you're not going to have as, uh, as much success as a performer. So the videotaping can kind of show you maybe some of those weak spots, places where you could improve your, um, your professionalism and, and the look and feel of your playing. And, uh, and then you'll be sure to make a good impression when you actually get on the scene. So assuming that all checks out, you have a repertoire list that you're comfortable with and confident about, and you've worked on your stage presence, then it's time to figure out how to get some gigs. There are a lot of websites that allow you to create um, sort of a, a landing page, and a lot of them are free. Some you have to pay a little bit of money to get gigs, and um, some of them you have to kind of pay for the lead. So they might tell you that you have a lead, but then you have to like pay a dollar or something to go and actually get the person's contact info. So the ones that I like are uh, gigsalad.com, weddingwire.com, what else? Decidio.com, D-E-C-I-D-I-O, Decidio.com, and um, what else? Mm, those are the, probably the big ones. Um, and then off of those, a lot of times they end up kind of sending your, your information out to other websites, like they have like affiliate websites, or I'm not sure how that works. But um, after you've signed up with some of these, and if you Google search your name, then you might find that you're showing up on other sites. And um, that's fine. I, I, I think that from what I can tell with, with my own uh, marketing and stuff, that they are um, keeping up on all of those websites. So it's not like if you update one and they send it out um, to all their other websites that are associated with it, that you're going to have to go out after the fact and update all of those if you have any additional information. But I could be wrong. But I would just start with, um, you know, a few in your area and to f figure out which ones might um, might give you the more bang for your buck um, is uh, if you did a Google search for like wedding musicians in your area, because some sites might be specific just to your region, and then you want to definitely target those first. So that's kind of the internet side. And if you do have some sort of a website, that's going to help a lot. Um, I get most of my business from either word of mouth or my website, um, putting up flyers around town and that kind of thing. Um, even at this point, um, putting up like brochures and stuff at different um, wedding chapels or um, with wedding coordinators and stuff. Um, that, that's kind of a different thing. But just, just the, the flyers and stuff in recent years, that, that really hasn't gotten me business.
business cards, not so much. Um, you really have to either be talking to the person and hand them your card or word of mouth, or they're just doing a search and you're coming up. And uh, know that that can take some time. You know, if you're just starting off getting a website, it can take a while um, to show up even on the first page. So, um, but, but just having that, once you sign up with these other sites that might be showing up um, within the top three or five, then once people get there and they see you, then they're going to go to your site. And if they like what they see and hear, then, um, then that's going to be a good thing. So then as far as the personal referrals, um, certainly, you know, start with your friends and family because they might know people. And then anyone you meet, if you, you know, definitely have a business card and um, if you get to talking about music and stuff like that, then definitely give it to them. And um, if you don't have a website that can indicate that you do this sort of thing, definitely have it on your card at least. And um, and that's a that's a good place to start. But then as far as getting like the most out of the people in the wedding industry, uh, they can, the most word of mouth. Um, I found that people like florists and caterers and stuff like that, like they're really not going to be referring violinists to their client. Um, they're just, when clients get to that stage, um, where they're thinking about flowers and stuff like that, they've pretty much got the music side of things taken care of. That's, that's been my, my, um, experience anyway. So it's more like the actual locations, the wedding venues, those are kind of some of the first places that brides and grooms call when they're planning a wedding. So I've, um, I've definitely gotten a lot of business from wedding coordinators and venues in my area. So I would start there. I'd, I'd get the word out, you know, um, maybe even send some of them like a little, um, CD of some MP3s or an email with some MP3s attached and just say, Hey, I'm doing this and here's my music. Um, if you have anyone that needs strings, then give me a call. So then as far as what sort of ensemble you're going to be playing with, because this this sort of thing can get kind of tricky, um, it's definitely good if you line up some colleagues and uh, maybe even you develop a little string trio or a duo or quartet or something ahead of time. So that would be kind of in the preparatory stage. But if... Um, if you're going to try and go solo, just realize that half the time someone's going to want someone else with you. So you want to start to network in your music community and figure out who you can call when you need some help. And um, for me, I have certain go-to people and uh, we don't necessarily call ourselves anything. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty much um, hiring them. The client is hiring me and then I hire them. There has been times when I've had like quartets and trios and stuff like that. But, um, but just in recent years, I think with the economy and stuff, a lot of people have been going solo or duo and it's just, um, it's just easier for me just to kind of, uh, plan it that way and then hire people as necessary and needed. And then I can kind of uh, mix it up a little bit too and, and really um, try and get the client what they want. Sometimes they want to have, you know, violin guitar, violin and harp, something really kind of um, unique or violin and, and a vocalist, who knows. Um, but a lot of times I, I try and steer them towards um, more your basic ensembles, uh, violin and cello, two violins, um, trio with either a violin, a viola and cello or two violins and a cello or your, your string quartet. 
So that just makes it easier to find people. And, and a lot of the music is obviously written for those sort of ensembles, like the, the music that I mentioned earlier. But, um, but it, it, it definitely, um, you know, if, if you have, uh, you know, hot classical guitarist or, or harpist or something that you like to play with, then that can actually be kind of a unique offering that a lot of people might not have. So, so, uh, you might consider that, you know, if you want to go in that direction, um, just kind of, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm just thinking about it right now. Um, also, another way that you could kind of put yourself out there as being a little bit unique is if you have a certain style that you like to do. Um, certainly people might want Pachelbel, they might want the the wedding march, but if you wanted to be more like a Celtic ensemble or something like that, then um, that might be well-received well and kind of puts you in a different category. Um, it's a kind of a niche category. So, so I would definitely be able to do the classical, but if you can have some other stuff that you do do, then, um, then that can definitely be helpful. Although a lot of people want the standards, um, there's a lot of people that are really intrigued and drawn to things that are just a little bit different. Uh, people who play different genres, people who have unique ensembles. I had a duo with a Paraguayan harpist actually for a couple years and um, and that was really unique. It was always kind of like an eye-catching ensemble. We didn't play weddings so much, but we did gallery openings and uh, restaurants and, and different stuff like that. And people were always like really, really intrigued because it was kind of an unusual type of music for one thing and then kind of an unusual ensemble. A lot of times you see harps you know, harpists by themselves and then having this harp, um, you know, and then violin. And it was very cool. I had a lot of fun with that one. So then let's say that you have gotten a call from a prospective bride and she's wanting some information about your rates, um, your availability, if you could send an mp3 of Pachelbel and uh, give her an idea of what you might sound like. So you want to make sure that you follow up with these people in a timely manner. That means, you know, like within 24 hours, basically, um, unless you have a good excuse. Sometimes, you know, they're booking like really far in advance. Um, what is it? November. And I'm getting some people requesting bookings next August, August 2012. And it's like, whoa. Um, I actually have a policy that I don't book out more than six months, just because at this stage in my life, I just don't know what's happening six months from now. <laughs> a lot of things could change. So um, so if you're someone older, and you're more established in a certain area, um, you know, you can book out as, as far in advance as you want. But if there, you think that there's any chance that you might um, not be able to commit to a date so far in the future, then um, then I definitely have some sort of a policy like that. Most weddings do happen between spring and fall, so uh, it's kind of why I'm doing the podcast now, this particular podcast, because November is a great time to plan out the next year, figure out what blocks of time you want to take for yourself for vacations or camps or whatever. I have not done that for too many years and um, have missed out on some cool stuff, so um, never again. I'm making that vow, and, um, and this time I will try to stick to it, so uh, maybe you guys can help me with that. All right, let's see. I'd also have some sort of a contract. You can um, go to my website, laurelthompson.com, and go to the event services page. Um, and you can look at my contract. It's, uh, it's pretty standard. 
It's got everything um, about payment, what my payment terms are. Um, different people have different payment terms. So you might want to think about what you need and maybe check out some other musicians' websites, especially in your area, and see what other people are doing and also what other people are charging. Um, the rates vary greatly region to region. And when you're thinking about rates, you want to think about who you want to service. So if you have lower rates, say you're slightly undercutting other people in your area, then people kind of on the lower budget spectrum of weddings will probably call you. But people who are having the big fancy weddings probably won't because actually having higher prices tend to give people the idea that you know, you're offering something special. So, so that's kind of something to balance. You know, are you wanting to offer a rate that anyone, you know, the young, fresh puppy love people right out of high school and they want to get married, you know, are they going to be able to afford you versus the people who are older, they have their careers, they're having a big, you know, huge wedding and reception. And, um, and you know, it's, it's just, it's just sort of a matter of, um, of figuring out who your market really is. And if you're just starting out, you probably want to keep your rates on the lower side, you know, just find the people in your area that are doing something similar and just have the same rates as them. I think that's the best place to start. Once you're more established, you have some weddings under your belts, then you can certainly raise your rates as you feel appropriate. Um, with rates, I'd also definitely think about uh, travel time. So what's kind of the radius around your hometown that you're willing to travel? And then what, uh, what, we, what you would charge for traveling kind of outside of your, your general area. So for me, if I'm traveling more than more than a half an hour one way, then I'm definitely, definitely charging for travel. It's both gas and time. You know, um, sometimes I'll get requests for weddings that are two hours away, one way. I mean, once you drive there, play for the wedding, um, maybe two hours, a wedding and a cocktail hour, and then get home, that's six hours. And you basically couldn't have scheduled any other weddings for that day. Whereas if you stayed at home in your hometown, you could have maybe done three weddings in that amount of time, or at least, you know, at least a couple weddings. So you kind of have to, to factor that in, you know, um, even if the gas isn't that much, it's still your time and it is time that you could be filling with other gigs that pay a lot better than, um, well, than nothing. So definitely charge something. And, um, and I think that that is totally reasonable and expected. Also, if you have to buy any sheet music or learn any new sheet music, or certainly if you have to arrange or transcribe some music, then you definitely need to be charging for your time and energy. Um, if it's something as simple as just buying some new music and playing it a couple times, you know, it's pretty easy or something, then obviously you wouldn't be charging as much as if you had to, from no music whatsoever, transcribe from, I don't know, YouTube or something, some pop song that they want as they're walking down the aisle then you want to be charging a lot more. What you want to charge, um, it's kind of dependent upon the situation. You have to look at how much time you think it will take you, how much your time is worth, and, um, and what other people are charging in your area. And, and then just kind of balance all those and figure out something that, that is both comfortable to you and your client. There might be a little bit of negotiating there. Sometimes, you know, well, what if, what if it was only this or what if it was only that? And, and you know, just work with them. You guys can figure it out together. 
So then you have the gig, you have your contract, you have perhaps a deposit or at least the money up front or, or there on the day, and that's all squared away. You've got your clause for um, rainy day weather, and, uh, and you're at the gig and you're playing. So you want to show up uh, with plenty of time to get settled and to talk to a coordinator or whoever's there who could cue you when the bride and the bridal party are ready to make their entrance. So you want to definitely be able to get on the same page with them. And, um, and then you never know. I mean, sometimes, um, actually oftentimes, even though you request chairs, an umbrella or something like that, they're not there. So you have to go and search for someone who can help you find those things or whatever. So um, so I would say at least 20 minutes ahead of when you're going to start playing, maybe a half an hour, depending. Um, and then um, the prelude music is the music that's going to be ushering the guests in. So generally, um, especially for outdoor weddings, the guests might not arrive, you know, maybe, maybe 10 minutes before, 15 minutes before. For church weddings, it's more like a half an hour. So you just kind of have to determine with your bride when you're going to start playing. And then the prelude music, you want it to be, um, not super lively, you know, um, a lot of the Baroque music, uh, is, is totally reasonable for that section of the ceremony. Um, nothing too kind of in a minor key or too sad sounding. I would I would try and avoid that sort of thing, but it doesn't have to be like super happy. Um, you know, the, the bells and whistles are all going off. Um, you want people to kind of come in and get into a, um, a calm but, but happy mood. And, um, and you want to try and promote that and realize that that's really what you're doing there. It's not really a performance, you're, you're background music, but you're trying to create an energy and a feeling and an atmosphere. So then with the ceremony music, when the ceremony actually starts, it's going to start with a processional of some sort. So maybe it's just going to be the bride by herself. Maybe it's going to be a few bridesmaids. Maybe it's going to be just a maid of honor and then the bride. Maybe it's going to be like seven bridesmaids and seven groomsmen and three flower girls and a ring bearer. Um... You have to talk ahead of time to the bride about what the entrance is going to be like. Um, sometimes you can go to re wedding rehearsals. I don't. I've played a lot of weddings, but in the beginning you might consider it just to kind of see what, what to expect. I definitely would recommend that if you've never, ever played a wedding. And, um, and certainly if you've never really been to weddings either. A lot of people who start playing for weddings really have never been to weddings. So... Um, so I at least go to a couple rehearsals to kind of see what you're getting yourself into. Um, and then um, you want to be able to basically switch between the different pieces because most of the time someone's not going to want to have the same piece for the bridesmaids and the bride. You know, the bride will get her own piece. The bridesmaids will get their own piece. Sometimes they have uh, mothers or uh, grandmothers coming in generally at the very beginning. Um, those ones are always tricky to me because they just kind of sneak in. You're like, oh no, <laughs> we were supposed to be playing that other song. Why didn't anyone cue us? Um, so I'm always, I'm always telling the coordinators, like, please, you know, when you see the mothers start, can you come over and 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 make your your cue? 
Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But thankfully, that's generally not a big part of the processional. Um, I don't know. I don't know if other people have had that experience. If you are a wedding musician, have had that experience, let's um, let's commiserate. So, <laughs> um, so you want to have all your sheet music set up in such a way that you can quickly flip between them, and you also want to be watching. So. If you tend to be like really involved in your sheet music when you're playing, I would practice playing the music that you're going to be performing for the processional. I'd, I'd basically memorize it. I'd practice um, playing and being able to like kind of look up in a way. Like one one good way you could do it is like turn on the TV, or you know if you don't have a TV like me, put something on your your computer that's going to be distracting and put your stand right in front of it and start playing and then look up and kind of, you know, maybe like count to five, watch whatever's happening on the screen and then go back to your music and hopefully you've been able to keep playing. And you want to be able to do that repeatedly because that's what you're going to basically have to do when the processional is happening. So with bridesmaids, because they're generally the ones that are coming right before the bride, I'm counting bridesmaids. It's like, okay, five bridesmaids. When I see the maid of honor coming, then I know that I need to start to find a place in the music where I can complete, I can get back to like the tonic, the root chord. So if we're in D, like Pachelbel's Canon, then I want to get back to a D or an F sharp or an A, something like that, something that's going to sound okay. Um, a D would be best and um, and then be able to transition most of the time you're not gonna be able to get to the end of the song and um, if you're pretty close if you're like two measures away then certainly finish it the bride's gonna wait for you but if you're in the middle of the song and you've or you know you've just done the repeat and you're back at the beginning um, then you need to find a way to stop and that's a little bit of improvising that you kind of have to do on the fly so that's another thing I would do I would practice ending the piece at different places so let's you know, keep Pachelbel as our example. So you might, um, you know, pick measure eight and measure 15 and measure 10 and measure 25 or whatever, you know, and uh, just figure out when you get to those spots, how you can end. Um, then as far as the bride, um, Again, when she comes in, you just want to be watching, and pretty much as soon as she gets up to the altar, you want to find a place to wrap it up. And that's the processional, and that's generally the most stressful part of playing for a wedding, just because you know it's hard to it's hard to know what everything, how everything is going to fit together, when everything's going to fit together. Some people take a lot longer. I I did a wedding this year, um, a couple months ago, where the flower girl was just totally off in fairyland. <laughs> she was very cute, but she was just, she was really serious about those flowers, man. Um, <laughs> so she was kind of wandering off and, and over here, and, and then the coordinator was trying to direct her, and like then her mom kind of came, was trying to like, get her down the aisle, and it was, of course, Pachelbel that I was playing, and it's like, okay, we're going back to the top. We're just going to keep going, and eventually she made it down the aisle, but just like that little girl getting her to to the front, to the altar, I don't know. It was it was a long time. <laughs> so, uh, so you have to be a little bit flexible, you know, and, and just go with the flow. 
you know, sometimes it will be absolutely perfect. Most of the times it will be, it will be perfect. Sometimes you might not think it's going to work out, but it will. It will be just fine in the end. But then sometimes it's not, you know, you end on kind of a note that's, that's not going to be the chord that you wanted, especially if you're playing with other people and maybe they're not as used to doing this. And, you know, it's kind of maybe a dissonant chord or something. It's like, oh, that wasn't so good. But, you know, you just kind of have to, to forget about that. It happened. There's nothing you can do about it. Most of the time it will work out just fine if you, if you, you know, do the stuff I'm talking about. (laughs) So then they're going to say all their vows and everything. Occasionally you'll have something in the ceremony where you need to play. Maybe they'll have a moment of meditation or reflection. Um, Sometimes they'll have like a sand ceremony or a unity candle or something like that. Most of the time that that music is going to be kind of reflective and, um, poignant, meditative, that sort of thing. Um, the Bach Arioso is a nice one for like unity candles and stuff like that. Um, some of this stuff, like, um, the air from the water music, um, that could be, that could be possibly appropriate. I'm just trying to think. Um, that one's a better one, I think for, for the processional actually for like mothers and stuff. It's kind of slow. Dun, 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 dun. Um, oh, air on the G string. That's a good one. That's a good one for some sort of unity candle. Uh, Largo from the four seasons by Vivaldi. That's a good one. Anyway, you get the idea. So then it's time for the recessional. So most of the time they're going to have the kiss and then the officiate's going to say, and now for the first time, let me present Mr. and Mrs. whoever. And then you want to just kind of start right in with your happy, upbeat, up-tempo recessional music. And after that, generally you'll want to have just one more piece to play while the guests are leaving. And, um, and that could be something like, um, most of the time I, I pick music that's going to kind of segue into whatever they're going to have next. So maybe it's a cocktail hour and, um, maybe it's pictures, you know, who knows, but just something that's going to be more like kind of upbeat and lively, um, pops maybe, um, something maybe more like in the romantic genre rather than like Baroque, which you might've been playing during the prelude. That's sort of my take on it, but you can definitely make it your own. And then, um, so that might wrap it up. That might be all. So if you're playing for a ceremony now, you can just go home. Um, but if you're playing for cocktail hour, most of the time you're going to have to change locations and then get out some other music that's maybe more upbeat. I like stuff like, um, I don't know. Some people think they're kind of cheesy, but I kind of like the old like 20s, 30s, 40s waltzes and stuff like that. Um, Joplin rags, fiddle stuff maybe, you know, like romantic kind of uh, romantic era music as well. Um, Salute d'amour or something like that. Meditation. I don't know. Uh, Meditation from Thais by Massenet. So you can just kind of make it your own, like I've been saying. <laughs> and then um, and then for the reception, you know, you'd want to bring out some pops, um, get some, I mean, there's there's different volumes and, uh, and just kind of feel it out. But I don't play for a lot of receptions. Most of the time people have a DJ or some sort of band. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. And certainly if you're just starting out, 
just stick to the ceremonies and the occasional cocktail hour. That would be my recommendation. So that's, that'll get you started. Uh, you can definitely go to my website and check out all the information that I have about choosing music, um, the contract, different stuff like that, just, just to kind of give you an idea. Uh, I also have a link from my site. It's sort of at the bottom of that first page of the event services that goes to another site that has some little, um, they're kind of cheesy, but little MP3s of different wedding songs organized by the part of the ceremony. So I send people to that. It's, it's just, they're like MIDI recordings, but it's some other quartet. And, um, and I found that helpful. Another thing you can do is go to like a library and check out some wedding CDs to kind of give a, give an, get an idea of uh, what kind of music people are, are listening to and liking. Um, but I would start with those guides, um, sorry, those volumes, the Lynn Latham music, um, latham-music.com and the lastresortmusic.com rather. And use the, that site that I uh, link from just to kind of give you an idea of what people are choosing for each part of the ceremony. A lot of the times the, the bride and groom are going to just, I mean, they might even leave it up to you or they're going to definitely need some sort of assistance. Sometimes they come with their own ideas and that's fine. Um, I try and make that work, you know, if it, if it seems like it's going to work. But in general, with choosing the music, um, yeah, definitely read that piece on my site, laurelthompson.com. It's linked to from that um, event services page and um, or event music. I'm not sure what I'm calling it now, actually. I'm, uh, I'm kind of in the process of redoing my website, so things are changing. But anyway, <laughs> sorry to be kind of flaky on that one. Um, but I would read that and then just kind of realize what sort of energy and feeling you're going to want to create for each part of the ceremony. So prelude music, like I said, sort of introspective, meditative, you're literally collecting the energy and the people into the space where the wedding's going to be held. So you're just kind of trying to draw, draw everyone in, get everyone on the same page. So nothing that's going to be too sad or depressing or morose, but also nothing that's going to be super over the top happy. I mean, I think that some of the handle air, uh, sorry, handle water music stuff like the bourree and the hornpipe from the water music suite. Those are, those are, you know, nice upbeat ones without being like crazy over the top. After the ceremony, uh, like for the recessional, and if you're playing right after the ceremony, then that's the time, I think, to really, really make it a fanfare. But, um, but at first, just, you know, kind of keep it, keep it a little bit, a little bit low key. And then as far as the processional, um, you kind of have to think about what sort of people are walking when. So like I said earlier, for the mothers and stuff like the air from Water Music Suite. That could be a nice one for that section. I also use that sometimes when they want to have the Ring Bear and the Flower Girls kind of have their own piece because it's it's simple and, um, and people can walk to it. For um, people like the Bridesmaids, like Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring is a good choice. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, it's a little bit, a little bit more complicated, perhaps a little bit faster, but it's really kind of joyful, you know. 
And then for the bride, a lot of them, it's kind of weird, actually, in, in recent years, they have been going back to the standard wedding march. But then uh, for many, many years, everyone was was not wanting that. So I don't know, it's kind of an interesting return to tradition that's been happening here recently. But um, whatever whatever she's wanting, most of the time the bride, she chooses that, that piece. And um, unless it's something kind of, you know, that you're not going to be able to play well or... Um, just won't sound good as, um, as say, a, an instrumental piece because sometimes they want something that has vocals or something. And without the vocals, without the lyrics, I guess I'm trying to say, it just doesn't really have much of a melody. So you want to kind of make that call in general, um, but definitely for the the uh, bride's processional because that's, that's, I think, the most important piece of music you're going to play. Everyone's going to remember that. It's her special day and uh, and you want to do the best you can to make it memorable for her. So I think that's about it. Um, I might come up with other things that I forgot to say and I'll do that in a later podcast. But hopefully you get, you get an idea of maybe what you're getting into and some tips for getting started. So definitely go to my website, laurelthompson.com. That's L-A-U-R-E-L-T-H-O-M-S-E-N. And uh, take a look at some of the stuff that I have there, the marketing stuff and, and just informational stuff about weddings and see see uh, what people see when they get to my page. Um, most of the time when they get there, they like what they see. I don't actually have MP3s up on my website at this stage for any of wedding songs. I have it for all the CDs and stuff that I've done. Um, people can kind of get an idea of how I play at least through that. But um, I do have stuff that I send to them when they request it. So I'd at least have that, that ability, that capability. And, um, and then if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, um, about this episode, this topic, or this podcast in general, please send me an email. My email is laurel at laurelthompson.com. And, um, if you like this podcast and, um, would like to help others to download it and, and, uh, and get involved in it, then consider rating it on iTunes or wherever you are picking it up and perhaps writing a little review. Um, I'm really grateful for the, the couple of reviews that I have so far. Thanks whoever, whoever you are out there. And, um, and that would be helpful just uh, just for people to kind of know, know how other people have responded to the podcast. Also, I have a Facebook page. It's Laurel Thompson Music. And if you want to come and like me, then you'll learn about other stuff that I'm doing other than just the podcast, performance stuff. And um, I do a lot of writing for... Um, these days for Strings Magazine. So I have a book coming out with them actually. And in this month's edition of the magazine, November, I have a little excerpt from the book. It's the Strings Guide to Boeing. So that's going to be rolling out here over the next uh, little while. And you can get a sneak peek again in this month's Strings Magazine, November 2011. So I think that's enough for today. And um, I hope that you have uh, found some of this useful. And until next time, happy practicing.